And we are live with the Coach Brew Show, home of the world's shortest podcast introduction. We turn potential into performance. You are listening to I, the almighty Coach Brew, your fearless leader. And uh, I have a special guest today. Before you do anything, you're going to want to head on over to coachbrew.com. Sign up for my newsletter, The Daily Brew. When you do that, you get a special gift in the form of a uh, premium newsletter. It's like a sample of uh, my premium newsletter for my members of my membership community. And that will automatically arrive in your inbox, compliments of yours, Brewly. And is 12 ways to double your sales and double your results. You go over to coachbrew.com and get that now. And today, um, we're talking about a subject that is near and dear to my heart. And the uh, athlete in my guest, it will be near and dear to his heart as well. And what I mean by that is there's an old expression, but... But, but, but my business is different, but, 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 but my, in, you don't understand my industry is different. Yeah. But, but my clients, my clients are different. Yeah. Um, not so much. So, uh, we are talking today with a, uh, long time friend who knows where all the bodies are buried in coach brew land mr paul weaver and good morning john thanks for having me on well the pleasure's all yours um i noticed you didn't bring me coffee on your way in i knew that you would have it already wow that hurts sometimes we just like to be asked you know it's the thought that counts right Psychologist is downstairs in this building. This is true. She's <laughs> okay. on the second floor. <laughs> go, go talk to go talk to her about yeah. that. So uh, this is it's Brew Vegas for a reason. What happens here stays here. So uh, we are talking about the farcical nonsense that is. But my business is different because fundamentals are the fun. Yeah, they're fun and mental. Yes. Uh, they're fundamental. Fundamentals are fundamental, and they're fundamentals in every industry. And I would argue that you're not so much in the insurance business, real estate business, business of politics, law, uh, broadcasting, whatever you th- whatever business you think you're in. You're really in the relationship business. And today, more than ever, I think we've lost sight of that. Um, the man who is my guest today is a uh, Renaissance man who has not lost sight of that, which is why this is the topic. And, uh, we're just talking about relationships and a, uh, new trail that he is blazing in his life and how that relates to your business as you're listening to this. And what is that new trail, Mr. Weaver? Well, I am a uh, first-time candidate for public office in the town of Strasburg, Virginia. Vacationing in Maine. Vacationing in Maine. Best part about vacationing in Maine in March is what, John? Um, it's flip-flop weather. There's no other vacationers. Yes, then there's that too. And I find that people in the service industry seem to 
to be nicer to you. Oh yeah. When when you're you're the tourist in town, not one of thousands. Or they just think you're local because the state hasn't been invaded with oh outsiders. Yeah, that's, that's the polite term. That's for a them. good way to put it. Yeah. Folks who aren't from here. Exactly. No, my contact with uh, with all the folks uh, in Maine so far during this trip has been very positive, and I think po- people have been very nice and. Part of that is because I've made an effort to be nice to them. It's amazing how that gets returned. It's kind of funny, huh? Yeah. Law of reciprocity. I can pronounce it. I just can't spell it. Reciprocity. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your backstory. Uh, my backstory is um, I grew up in uh, a small steel mill town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, went to college there locally. Um, and uh, spent you know over twenty years as a uh, as an educator, both in administration and in the classroom. So you you say you're like a recovering teacher, kind of. Yeah, I I, I teach in college now, um, which has some advantages. I remember. Um, the main I, advantage I, being they're not high school students. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I remember uh, my niece who was in. Middle school asking me one time, uh, Uncle Paul, what's the difference between a teacher and a professor? And I said, well, when uh, when your teacher is done teaching the material to you for that class, she still has to, you know, supervise you. Whereas when you're a professor and you're done, well, you're done. See ya. <laughs> yep. So uh, <laughs> as I tell my students that uh, if I wanted to be a warden, I would have gone into law enforcement. So if we're done... Or I'm done, really. That's what it comes down to. When I'm done, they're done. Yeah. So there is a there is an upside to that. Um, but I've uh, taught a variety of subjects and did some coaching as well. And um, now I work for uh, the Shenandoah County Library System in Virginia as a circulation assistant, which means I do a little bit of everything. And um, so you're like the utility infielder of. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, two of the days that I'm uh, I'm on the job there, I'm I'm at the the hub for the the county library system, and I do sort of I call it circulation monkey work. I pretty much check books in and out and other forms like, of, of like media. Curious George. Yes, you climb on the top of the shelves yeah, and exactly, throw things. I, that's exactly yeah. what I do. Um, and then the other two days of the week, uh, Thursday and Friday, I work in one of the branch libraries in in my my town. And I do a little bit of everything. Uh, sometimes it means fixing a toilet. Sometimes it means shoveling snow. Sometimes it means ordering new titles. Uh, so I, did I you like guys, that. Did variety. you guys order uh, beyond stadium status yet? We have not. Um, How about stadium status? No, they seeds of success. They relied on my own private donation of those texts. They went uh, the, the coach approach. They went straight to the twenty five cent cart. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Greatest nation in the world, donation. That's right. Yeah. So, so uh, I described you as a utility infielder, and you you uh, sort of blushed a little. People can't see it because, well, it's a podcast. But I'm guessing maybe that's the first time in your uh, storied collegiate baseball career, or just baseball career in general, that... You've been described as a utility infielder. Yeah, I've been called a tool a lot, but yeah. but not a utility player. But um, I think it's one of the assets I bring to uh, to any work situation is that I've got 
a variety of skills and I'm good at learning new things. I think when, um, when people ask me in, uh, in my campaign for, for office, uh, when they ask me, you know, what sort of skill do you have? I said, my most important skill is the ability to learn new stuff. Um, I never viewed education as something that you finish doing. It's something that evolves throughout your life. I think that's a rarity and certainly one of my pet peeves, if I'm going to get up on my soapbox and rant and rave, is that you've said this many times, we uh, have far greater access to information than ever before in the history of our society, yet we are far less intellectually curious yeah, I think uh, we view information as something that is just you know really accessible to us and isn't meant to be processed or rechanneled or even really to be validated. Uh, I taught a class the other day, and um, the story we read was by the American author James Baldwin, and I had my class convinced that he was one of TV's Baldwin brothers. I've seen James Baldwin films. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and I... Uh, <laughs> I, I drew a family tree up on the board and explained that James Baldwin was from the, the Baldwin family's first marriage. And, and so he's I, not Stephen Baldwin's legit sibling? No, not okay. at all. And I had 20 first and second year college students copying a family tree down into their notes when they should have been saying, hey, uh, Professor Weaver, this makes no sense at all. What, what are you talking about? And there were two lessons to be learned there. One is when, when I tell you that the author biography in the book is part of the reading assignment, I expect you to read it. And the other part is if you did read it and you know that none of this is true, you need to speak truth to power. And that's, that's an important lesson and isn't, one that we don't do real well. Isn't James Baldwin black? Incredibly so, yes. Yes. <laughs> and Alec Baldwin, not so much. Not so much. He's, <laughs> he's incredibly white. Yes. Like I am. Um, so, yeah, it's just amazing that like fact-checking is virtually non-existent today. Um, journalism, so much has changed, you know? Um, yet people think their business is different. Their industry is different. Well, the fundamentals are still the fundamentals. And I kind of want to come back to that and relate that to what you're doing now, which is uh, campaigning. And again, people think like, oh, well, you know, it's a political campaign. It's different. Mm, Not so much. Campaigning's campaigning. Campaigning is about um, a message. Mm-hmm. It's about making sure that people know who you are and what you're about. Uh, my my town has um, just under 7,000 people, and uh, I've lived and worked in that community for, for 20 years in, in what is, for that town, a relatively high-profile job. And so that, that where is, where is Strasburg? Uh, Strasburg Virginia, on the map. Strasburg, Virginia, is about uh, seventy miles west of Washington D.C. in northwestern Virginia, in the the heart of the beautiful Shenandoah Valley. So, it's uh, picturesque and historic, and uh, faces a lot of the challenges that other small towns uh, across the United States face. 
Uh, I've been there. It is beautiful. Shout out to the folks at the High Neighbor. Uh, great, great breakfast place. It's closed. It's closed. There are no more high neighbor jobs. Well, you see, you've got to come down and visit more often. You see, I teed that up for you when you said it's a small town that faces a lot of the challenges of many small towns in America. I knew that. No doubt. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole concept of a campaign, like people say, oh, it's a political campaign. That's different. My industry is different. Really? You ever heard of an advertising campaign? A uh, crowdfunding campaign? Uh, sales campaign, campaign is campaigning. There's certain fundamentals. So let's talk a little bit about that and uh, talk a little bit about, you know, some of the outreach that you're doing. Uh, we'll play a little game. Okay. You tell me some of your quote campaign strategies and I'll relate politics to business. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I would say that campaign strategy number one is uh, if you're going to be one of eight town council representatives uh, in a town of less than 7,000 uh, people, you need to make sure that you spend time face-to-face with potential voters and potential constituents. Uh, you can't take a hands-off approach to campaigning, which personally for me is a little bit tougher because I am... Uh, a little more introverted than I appear at first. And so I would probably relate to people much better um, through letter writing or, you know, some other form of medium. But introverts unite in separate rooms, in separate rooms, alone. Qu- quietly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, part of getting on the ballot uh, in Virginia municipal elections is you have to collect signatures. Yeah. And so I decided to take um, a hybrid approach where I went out and knocked on doors, but I also had people who volunteered to go to their neighbors and their respective neighborhoods and knock on doors too. And I think both have value, like a chance to meet a candidate or a potential candidate is going to yield some results. But also I think there's value to hearing from your neighbor, that person you see every day, Um, hearing from them talking about a potential candidate, especially someone that they know and uh, and are willing to support. I think if somebody's willing to go knock on doors on your behalf, that carries with it um, a degree of legitimacy. It's easier to write a check and faster. It is. Uh, My campaign... Than to give your time to someone you support. Absolutely. My campaign... uh, does not accept contributions. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I've self-financed. My, my point meaning, like, it says more about your candidacy if people are willing to get out and knock on doors, you know, walk with you, talk to their neighbors, than if they just stroke a check for a couple hundred bucks and can be done with it. It will take um, three or four hours sometimes to yeah. get 10 or 12 signatures. Because um, if you're collecting signatures on the weekend, uh, people are out running errands. Sure. And during the week, folks they're at Home are, Depot, Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah, you know, it's folks, a nice Saturday. Folks are at work during the uh, during the the weekday, and because uh, the elections in May, and I need to have you know signatures collected for the ballot before the beginning of March, 
you're campaigning in January and February when, well, by the time I get off of work, it's dark and people don't want strangers knocking on their door when it's dark out. And it's and, cold. Yes, exactly. And sometimes it's raining or snowing. It's, yeah. It seemed like... So that's uh, a commitment. It seemed like three or four Saturdays in a row when I had set aside a, a significant amount of time to go walk the streets and knock on doors. That, it, it let's, let's rephrase that. Walking the streets. Yes. <laughs> I was not a street walker, but... Um, you know, you, he was you, a pedestrian, folks. You've got to go out there and 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 walk the sidewalks. So everything you just described, here's the parallel in business for people listening, because I firmly believe no matter what you're doing, you're campaigning. If uh, a candidate for city council has uh, some supporters who are willing to go talk to their neighbors and knock on doors, that is akin to. You having uh, advocates for your business who are willing to speak to others in the business community, whether it's a chamber of commerce, simply, you know, uh, other stores on Main Street or, you know, other like in in my case right here, other uh, office suites in the same building, the shared building, you know, to be willing to advocate for you to be part of your network. Um, What that does as Paul just eloquently described is it's social proof. Someone's willing to give of their time and energy uh, that speaks much louder than simply making a quote donation. I know you don't take donations, but I'm speaking in the broader sense, you know, for anyone and uh, to have those endorsements or testimonials. You can say you're wonderful until the cows come home. uh, But when someone else is singing your praises, it means much more. Yeah, and, and it's not as hard to get that kind of positive referral or, or loyalty as a business. It, it, it's really about doing little things and doing them the right way. Uh, when someone asked me about um, a heating contractor for, for a house, I refer them to one particular business because I had a very positive experience with a company that is fairly large, and yet the owner came out to price the job in my little my little thousand square foot house out in the woods. Yep. Um, and he did it because he wanted to make sure that it was done the right way. And those things make a big difference. Uh, the plumber that I use for my home now, um, they left my house as clean as when they showed up. And you know, I'll pay a little bit extra for that. I, yeah. I don't want the I don't want the cheapest craftsmen or tradesmen to work on my home. I want the best one. I think sometimes with small businesses in small towns, there's an expectation of loyalty that hasn't been earned. Uh, You know, the idea that, hey, you should shop local because you're local and and businesses are local. It's like, well, ordinarily I try to, but there needs to be a reason. Not everyone was meant to be in business. And nor does everyone deserve to stay in business. So simply because you're local isn't enough. No. Uh, however, if if you provide a, a service or a product that's that's approximate, yeah. I mean, I I want local businesses to be successful. Sure. Uh, but like, I need them to follow some some fundamental principles of success too. In Strasburg, we've had some uh, some concern with with the locals about um, 
you know, some small businesses closing in town. Yep. And healthy small towns have healthy main streets where there's, you know, revenue being generated and revenue being brought in from outside the community. And revenue that stays in the community. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's funny when you're out knocking on doors and you ask people sort of what their vision is for the town, you get everything from very existential type issues to um, sometimes the the smallest things and sometimes things that I'd never thought about or that that don't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and that's why you got to go out and listen. Yeah, I think uh, you just touched on a pretty important thing, um, you know, in terms of you know, whether it's politics, sales, just being a business owner, entrepreneur. It's contact sport, and I don't mean like throwing elbows on the basketball floor. Yeah, or forearm shivers, or you know, wrapping up when you tackle. Uh, I'm talking simply about you know listening and. Uh, while we are sitting here in New England, I will take an opportunity to draw a parallel. You know, um, a politician goes door knocking in part to create brand awareness and uh, build relationships, but it's a two-way street. You also go to listen, right? Oh, absolutely. If, if you're not listening, then all you're trying to do is get votes. Yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, before we moved uh, to where we currently live, um, there's a doctor that lived on our street who was running for, uh, coincidentally, town council. And he went door knocking at dinner time. And if you remember my old house, the dining room is literally looking out at the front porch and the front door. Yep. So when I answered the door, and he was standing there with a sign under his arm. It said, hey, um, I'm running for office, and I wanted to see if I could put a sign up in your yard. I'm like, number one, Joel. I call him Joel because, well, that was his name. Um, we're eating dinner right now. Number two, I have no idea what you stand for and what your policies are. You didn't ask me what my concerns are. So if you think just because I'm your neighbor, I'm going to let you put a sign up in my yard. No, schedule an appointment to come back and talk to me and listen to me. Then maybe I'll think about putting a sign up. But I use that example um, as an example with business too, because that was transactional. And so often uh, we are so busy that, everything becomes transactional when it needs to be relational. So it's a cautionary tale. Uh, when I, uh, when I solicited uh, yard space uh, from people in town to, to put signs up, friends and neighbors, uh, people that my wife knows from church, uh, everybody that I didn't get a chance to thank in person got a postcard Mm-hmm. You slid, you know, in between their their door and and the door jam, just thanking them for their support, and um, a postcard that has my logo on the front, and then my campaign email address and 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 campaign website on the back. And it's a little thing; it, it takes thirty five seconds to write. I mean, really, it would just be something like John, thanks for your support, and my name, and that would be it. But those little things make a difference. And I think uh, when you talk about, 
your original consulting business, the sport of business, you know, taking lessons from the locker room or the playing field and applying them to business, you know, little things make a difference. And when you keep, you know, taking little things out of your performance or just the way you go about your business, it has a negative impact on, on how you perform. Yeah. It's a compound effect and uh, not a good one. It's kind of scary uh, because we are in such a wired world. It's easy to thumb out a text. You know, you say, oh, it takes a couple seconds, 30 seconds to write a postcard. And people are sitting here probably listening to this thinking, yeah, I could just thumb out a text while I'm sitting in my car on the phone. It's the same. Actually, it's not. It's not the same at all as a handwritten note. There's so much more. What's the word I'm looking for? Gravitas? Yeah, I think there's, there's, I mean, I would probably use the term legitimacy. Your legitimate, your, your, your communication is legitimate if it takes extra effort. Now, granted, I'm not interested in reinventing the wheel and making it square so that it can be my own wheel. I, I mean, I like a round wheel just like everybody else, but there's a big difference between taking the easiest path and taking the most meaningful one. Mm-hmm. And chances are the difference work-wise isn't really all that big. No. Yeah, if you can thumb out a text in the same amount of time as handwriting a postcard, one's going to yield exponentially greater results than the other, and it ain't the text. Well, and the fact that yeah. a, a postcard is something that's tangible, it's something that you've, Absolutely. You've, you've put in your hand. With a logo and a brand impression that by far exceeds the text. And I think that, that the lesson in business there, too, um, because this is my own personal challenge, is to relate everything you tell me to the audience, is number one, be able to make those brand impressions. Number two, be able to personalize it, but also... Kind of in the broader context, like analog is the new digital. I've been saying that for a couple of years now. And if you're wondering what I mean, here's what I want you to do. Um, Keep a running tally of how many emails you get in your inbox today. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. When you get home from work, go out to your physical mailbox and take a look at how many pieces of physical mail you have in there. So if I sent you an email, would it stand out as much as if I put a postcard in your mailbox? I think we both know the answer to that. Uh, Different is good. Yeah. uh, Especially when different is also more effective. Yeah. Far more clutter in an email inbox than in a physical mailbox. Uh, and every day, you know, that piece of physical mail will stand out more and more because so many people are going for convenience for them, which is shooting an email versus uh, meaning for their audience or for their constituents or for their prospects. So the big thing, you know, I had mentioned uh, listening, you know, you're going out and you're knocking on doors and you're listening to people's concerns, concerns that you might never have thought of because, well, we all view the world or our community or our town through a very different lens, you know? And I think that's something that for many years has happened here in New England. I have the utmost respect for 
the Boston Red Sox front office because one thing they did that has nothing, seemingly nothing to do with baseball. And that is every year during the busiest time of year, which for front office is right after the season ends, uh, they go on a listening tour and they go to each market where they have a minor league franchise, uh, like Portland, Pawtucket. Uh, I believe they have one where Lowell. Yeah, well, I don't know if they have one in New Haven or not, but I mean, they definitely have regional uh, minor league franchises sure. because that helps build their brand awareness. And let's face it, if you're the Red Sox, you probably don't need to do a whole lot of that, but you still can't afford to not do any of it. Yeah. So uh, they go on a listening tour to you know their major league markets and their minor league markets. We win so much, we usually bring the World Series trophy with us that year, each year. But anyway, uh, what they do is, yeah, you can get your picture taken with the trophy, but more importantly, it's like a town hall meeting. Like you'd see at a city council meeting where they – they're on a listening tour, listening to the fans' concerns, whatever they might be, and getting feedback and ideas. How can we make the uh, the fan experience better? But then they actually act on it. So for a couple of years, they froze ticket prices at a time when no one's freezing ticket prices. Gluten-free menu options were suggested because there were none in the ballpark. And uh, the parking situation around Fenway has been problematic. They got some feedback on that, acted on it. I mean, there were a handful of things over the course of just a couple of tour stops that really helped them improve the game day experience and, and try and keep it fairly affordable. I look at that as a great metaphor for, you know, what you do. When was the last time you went on a listening tour with your customers? Um, you know, politicians go on, you know, the campaign trail is essentially, if you're smart, which you are, a listening tour. It's a simple thing that everyone can do. Well, I think you'll get credit uh, for taking the effort to listen and explaining why, you know, every concern is not going to be met or met immediately uh, because an individual concern is, is that. It, it's an yeah. individual concern. However, if enough individuals have the same concern, well, then it's a community concern. Uh, and it's I, an opportunity for you to spot those trends when other people won't. Absolutely. Yeah. One, one of the things that I've heard from, from my, my fellow townspeople is that they, uh, they are not real thrilled with uh, the cost of you know, water and sewage service in the town. That ain't real sexy. No, it, it isn't. And at the same time... Um, I don't get a whole lot of feedback from these same folks as to what they think a reasonable rate would be. They just want it to be less. Sure. Um, when I took a break from teaching, I, I worked in water and wastewater treatment. And so I have a pretty good idea what goes into it. And, um, you know, we may be paying more than we need to and we may not. And so I had an interesting conversation with a lady I know who I see at the grocery store. She works there. So, you know, she's checking out my groceries on, on a weekly basis. And she asked me what I was going to do about uh, the, the water bills in, in town. And I said I was going to learn. Yeah. I, I was going to find out. And I just flat out told her. I, I said, Kay, if I just wanted your vote, 
I'd tell you I'd lower it. Yep. But I, I don't just want your vote. I'm not going to make a promise to you that I can't keep. And the whole idea of you know under promising and over delivering is um, is something that we probably need to see more of in all areas. Um, but there's yep. lots of people who will tell you what they think you want to hear, just to get you to do what they want you to do in the short in the short term. And that's not the case. I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna tell her a lie so I can get her to vote for me because then I need to see her every week. For the next, I don't know, 20 years. I, I think that's a big mistake that a lot of salespeople make is they think they have to have an answer for everything or they look at it as overcoming an objection. You, Number one, you don't have to have an answer for everything. If you do have an answer for everything, you come off sounding like a fast-talking salesman who's being manipulative, not facilitative. And thirdly... Um, yeah, I think the the honest thing to do is simply say, I don't have an answer for that right now. Let me do some research and I'll get back to you. You earn a little more trust and it also gives you a great reason to follow up with them. Sure. And, and really um, the idea of taking the long view of the, the relationship you have with either yeah. individual constituents or people that you're selling to. You can make a quick sale and get over on somebody maybe one time, mm-hmm. but you know what? What do you lose versus what do you gain? I, I had an experience with a with a propane vendor. Um, you know, in, in rural Virginia, there's not a whole lot of infrastructure, and so if you if you don't live um, in certain areas and and you want to use you know some sort of gas to heat with it, it's propane. And uh, I remember at the end of spring getting a delivery from a company I, I didn't ask for yep. because they wanted to dump their product on me before the price for it went down. And what they really did was not only lose a customer immediately, but they lost a customer forever. And they created a person who was not going to ever have anything positive to say about the company. And, and they did that for a, for a small account. They did that for a 200-gallon yeah. sale. It's interesting because I, I hear so many of those stories of like whether it's gas or propane or oil company, quote, accidentally delivering to the wrong house and then charging you because, hey, we filled your tank. Can you just pay for it? Like It's manipulative, but it's also interesting because if you look at that industry that is the most um, – commoditized one of the most commoditized price-based industries right now and it's only getting worse so yeah why not take the long view and do it a little differently and and i learned my lesson because instead of going uh with the vendor that just had the lowest per gallon price i went with one that had the best customer service and when you really get down to it they were half a percent more, more expensive and you know, I think as I get older and have a little more life experience, I'm willing to pay a little bit more to get more. Yeah. Or to get less hassle. Like sometimes it's easier to just pay and then realize that like you're paying for quality or you're paying for good customer service or or whatever. The great example that you and I often talk about 
is uh, footwear. You know, I paid more than a little more for a pair of Red Wing boots. Why? Number one, they're really comfortable. Number two, they're really durable. Number three, like anything goes wrong with them, they're standing behind them. I'll probably never have to buy another pair of work boots ever again. They'll resole them. So what's that done? I now have a Red Wing wallet. I have a Red Wing belt. Customer for life. I'm never going to have to replace those things either because they're well made. And so often, like we're in such a disposable society. That's one of the things that's really scary to me is um, you used to get things and A, they would last. And B, when they didn't, you could get them repaired. You get a replacement part. Everything's become so disposable. TV breaks, you just replace the flat screen TV completely and you know, hit reset on so many things and replace. And you can't do that with relationships, but we're very much becoming what feels like a disposable society. I'm um, going on a little bit of a philosophical rant here. You know, the divorce rate's at an all-time high in our country. Like, relationships are becoming disposable. A lot of things are becoming disposable that shouldn't be and didn't used to be. Well, invest, Re- react to me on yeah, this. Well, investment yeah. investment is something that is uh, something that we think about only in terms of money. And when you think about sort of the largest segment of the population now, um, people our age or younger, and they tend not to save. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the value of things that last a long time is. Uh, in some ways and in some areas of our society, it's a luxury. Like, I'm blessed that I'm able to afford things that last. Uh, yeah. But I also have the the mindset of, you know, I only want to buy it once. So when my wife and I first got married, which wasn't all that long ago, five years, um, we bought some dining room furniture and it was – Crazy expensive, but made by, you know, nice, nice Amish people in, in Pennsylvania. And the point is that I don't want to have to deal with dining room furniture ever again. Yeah. You know, I'm going to live another 30 years maybe. And guess what? 30 years from now, our heirs can, can fight over it because I don't want to have to deal with it. And, um, that's a nice approach to be able to take. Now, when I was 23, I was using hand-me-down furniture. That's a nice table. Would you please will it to me? Yeah, sure. Okay. No, no problem. Um, so you bring up a really good point, and that's investment. And there are different kinds of investment. You know, there's obviously investment of financial resources, but there's also investment of time. And, you know, time is having roots somewhere. You know, you are, uh, you've always been this way, and you're someone who's, invested in wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And you've been invested in your community for 20 years in a variety of capacities. How has that served you well? Because a lot of people like a lot of people don't grow where they're planted, so to speak. Yeah, I um you know it wasn't intentional. I, I think some of the the best things to happen to me 
in my life have, have been unintentional. And one of them was I, I chose a place in Virginia to relocate to from Philadelphia. I didn't know anybody there, uh, but I sort of liked what the school was about and what the town was about. But I still only expected to stay a couple years. And you know, 20 years later, here I am. I think how it serves me is um, the expression, I know a guy. Uh, people, you know, sort of talk about, well, you know, I know a guy and he does this or, or whatever. I think just the ability to have at your disposal, uh, people who, you know, and who know you and that you have history with and that you can trust. So there, yeah. there, there's a reason why I don't worry about getting ripped off when I take my, my 15 year old truck in to be repaired because, well, I taught the son and grandson of the person who runs the garage. Yep. And uh, I've been taking my truck there for as long as I've owned it. And they've been there for a long time. And they know that as a longtime family business, you don't stay in business by ripping people off. Yep. Um, so I think one of the, the rewards that you get out of putting down roots and being involved in the community is that you have relationships uh, and sometimes relationships that evolve. Uh, one of my my best friends in town, who is also a member of the town council and kind of inspired me to to run, is a former student. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that I can be friends with someone who's not significantly younger than I am, uh, but to have a relationship that's developed over the years. I think that's that's pretty nice, and I think folks that move around a lot don't necessarily get that. Yeah, I think we become a transient society to a large extent. Um, and one of the things that I often talk about, both on my podcast and my speaking, writing, is uh, Gallup has done survey research every single year. And every year they do a survey of the least trusted professions in America. And every single year until this last election, there's been one profession that's always been number one. It's been like the reigning heavyweight champion every year, and that's sales. Well, sales got knocked off their high horse by guess who during the last election? Politicians? Yep. So Shocking. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> sales is still number two. You know, your stereotypical used car salesman in, in the plaid leisure suit and who's fast talking with his hair slicked back. You know, the stereotypical salesman. Uh, but guess what's number three? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Clo- close cousin to politician. I, I don't know, John. Lawyers. Oh, well. Which, you know, like politicians are like recovering lawyers oftentimes. Um, But it's very interesting because without a foundation of trust in anything, there's no basis for a relationship. I think when you're not invested in where you are, you're a renter, so to speak. It changes the dynamics of everything. Well, I I think that uh, it's important to trust the people who are serving the public, even if you don't agree with them or even if you don't like them. Uh, I remember uh, interviewing for a teaching job. Uh, I was was well into my teaching career, and so I I was exploring the idea of moving to a different location. And the question I I got from 
uh, from this principle was, um, how do you know you're a good teacher? And my, my response was immediate. It certainly wasn't a question I was prepared for. Yeah. Uh, but my, my response was, my coworkers who don't like me still want me to teach their kids. So they recognize that, hey, you know, maybe I'm not always the most likable guy because I'm pretty blunt, pretty direct, pretty opinionated, uh, things that I'll need to temper a little bit in public service. But they also recognize that, yeah, this guy might be a little bit hard to get along with, but he knows what he's doing. And I want my kid to have the best available teacher. And he's the guy, even if he's a little hard to get along with sometimes. Yeah, and I think that... uh uh, there's hard to get along with. I, probably wouldn't be the word I would use or the phrase I would use. Um, what I might say is simply um, someone who you may not like, you may not always agree with or like what they have to say, but you'll always know where you stand with them because they're going to shoot you straight. Like you're not afraid to call BS on me. Nope. Yeah, and the beauty of that is I always know where I stand. I may not agree with you, yeah, but I'm I still not, respect you. And Yeah, I'm not a man of mystery. I wouldn't be a good professional poker player. If I've got a good hand, it'll show. Was it Austin Powers, international man of mystery? I am an international man of mystery. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, uh, I think there's so much to be said for transparency. And well, that's that's one whether th- you like what the person has to say or not. At least you know they're being transparent with you. Yeah, that's one of the three elements of my uh, my campaign that I've really tried to put out there to the people is yep. transparency in government. Is um, not that your government is always going to be something you agree with or that you support because you know there's oftentimes really well-informed people who disagree with you. And so you can't always get what you want when you want it. However... Isn't that a song? Yes. Or it's a Burger King commercial. Try sometime. Anyway, don't let him sing, please. Just my... Yeah, and there he sings more. So this is... um, No, seriously, uh, in transparency in government, it's just about... Uh, making sure that the public has easy access to the the deliberations, the thought processes of uh, mm-hmm. the elected officials. And it's okay to not agree. It, it, really, it's okay. I think one of the things— If everybody agreed, a lot of those people aren't necessary. What, one of the things that I think we've lost as a society is the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. No, we haven't. <laughs> You're just stupid. <laughs> if you were smart enough, you'd understand— yeah, see, and, and yeah. so, you know... I'm going to get canceled on my own show. <laughs> <laughs> that is possible. Is there a hashtag you want to use at this moment to I, anger I, at me? I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing about... My hashtag game is very weak. I, hashtag boycott Brubaker. <laughs> I, had, I had people ask me why I, I don't have my campaign on social media and that I should be on Twitter and Facebook and whatever. And I, and I just... I know I hold a minority opinion, I think, in that respect, but I, I think social media is like a combination between a sewer and a bunch of funhouse mirrors. Yes, and, it's, and, it's actually anti-social media and, and in many I, respects. And I, don't, I just don't yeah. want to be associated with it. And so, um, and the beauty of running for office in a small town is, like, what's more important? What I'm putting out there on Twitter yeah. or 
going out and talking to people and you know knocking on doors. I, I think that's a lot more positive and plays to my strengths a little bit. Uh, as as an educator, I've been asked pretty much every so, year, every year for the last ten years, if I want to teach online. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not an online teacher. Like there's a certain skill set that goes with that, but my strength is face to face communication. And that's what I go with. So as far as my hashtag game, it's weak. Yeah, I, um, I'm i not into online learning either. And I, I think there's a lot of connection that's lost. But so in, in finding the parallels, you know, you had mentioned getting out, meeting people, making face-to-face contact. And, you know, that's every type of campaign in the world. It's brand impressions and advertising campaigns, it's a sales campaign, it's a crowdfunding campaign, it's a political campaign. So as you're listening to this, reverse engineer your goal. You know, because this is one thing that I know, you know, I'm preaching to the choir with Paul here, but uh, it's one thing athletes all know is you can't control the outcome, but you can control your process, your attitude, and your effort. And so what are the benchmarks you're working towards, like, you know, at a designated end date? So like for you, it would be election day. And how many contacts do you need to make? So I'll go ahead and ask you that. Like, how many contacts do you need to make? Well, um, you know, it depends on on what your purpose is. For instance, when it comes to collecting signatures on your petition to get on the ballot, yep, I needed 125. Okay. I, I I got 200 uh, because there are just more people that I wanted to uh, to to get face to face with. Uh, another metric is how many votes did it take to win a seat in the last election? And um, when I took a look at the uh, the election from two years ago, because half of the town council is up for election every two years, I saw that I needed 400 people to vote for me, and, and I would be the number one vote getter. And so how do I get... Um, out of a town of roughly 7,000 people that has roughly 4,500 registered voters, how do I get 10% of the registered voters to vote for me? Yeah. And part of that is making sure that they, first of all, know I'm running, and then to make sure that they get out to the polls. And so um, in Virginia, you're able to purchase voter lists if you're a candidate, if you're a vetted candidate. And so I took a look at the list of registered voters who voted in the last town election. Market research. And almost all of them were people who had a connection to me. I taught their their child, their grandchild, their neighbor, their cousin. So you're like the Kevin Bacon of Strasburg, Yeah, Virginia. there's not a whole lot of de- <laughs> degrees of separation. And um, so for a candidate with my background, it's a little different because I don't need to necessarily get my name out so much as I need to make sure people understand what my campaign is about. Yeah. And when they, they use the term politics or politician, I, I, I don't change. I, I mean, I don't correct them because I don't like their language. It's, it's more about what my, what my theory or my, my belief is. I'm not a politician. I don't want to be a politician. I, I want to be a public servant. Yep, and there's a big difference. I think a lot of people have lost sight of that. Sure, I mean you're yeah. not you're not going to get rich being on the Strasburg Town Council. I, I could make more money doing lots of other things, but I'm at that point in my 
in my personal and professional life where I can actually make a sacrifice to benefit others. And yeah, that, and make that, a difference. And, and Yeah, and that yeah. sounds corny to yeah. a lot of people because it seems contrary to a lot of our motives. But I really think that uh, if I want to live in a productive and successful town that has some harmony and growth and, and, and a future, then I think I need to step up. Yeah. And you use the word politician to politics. Um, and you don't want to be considered a politician. And I think the big reason is like motives, you know, what are the motives of most people who go into politics? They say politicians are just ugly celebrities. And it takes an enormous amount of ego to be a career politician. So uh, I applaud anyone who's doing it for the right reasons like you are and uh, is willing to make the investment, you know, your own financial resources, time, energy, uh, which goes beyond campaigning. There's a lot of work that goes into actually serving the public once you're elected. So as you're listening to that and, and, you know, what's your version of election day and where are you working backwards from? Because you need to figure out how many contacts you need to make. Um, you know, as you were talking about like six degrees of separation from Paul Weaver or Kevin Bacon, you know, I'm thinking about like people's business network. There's a, um, there's this thing, Paul, on the interwebs, one of them social media channels you don't like, LinkedIn. I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like Facebook for business. Okay. Have you heard of Facebook? I have heard okay. of Facebook, yes. Uh, the Facebook. Yeah, so LinkedIn actually shows you the levels of separation between you and you know your prospects if you're not directly connected. It might be a second level or a third level connection. Like, Who do you need to talk to to facilitate making that actual direct connection happen? And... Um, you know, a campaign's a numbers game. So how many contacts do you need to make? You know, uh, one of my coaching clients who um, has been re-elected twice to the House of Representatives, we figured out that he had to, working backwards from the election day to the start of his campaigning, we figured out he needed to knock on doors six days a week, six days a week for three months, uh, leading up to the election, which averaged out to be 75 doors a day in his community, uh, handwrite five postcards every day and make 10 phone calls. Now, if that doesn't, oh, but my business is different. No, if that doesn't sound like sales. I don't know yeah, what that, is. That sounds face face exactly contact. Like sales, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, letters and phone calls. It's relationship building, but you have to get out there and do it. You have to get out there and listen and to work backwards from a goal. It's pretty fundamental. If if I had to add on to that a little bit, it's not You just, have to. I'm requiring you to add on to okay. this right now. All right, I'm being told what to do. I love that. Um, you cannot just look at the numbers, though. It's not, hey, I need to knock on X number of doors. It's about meaningful contact. You know, Correct. You, like if you're judging the, the Yarmouth, Maine, chili contest, you're not judging the best chili by counting how many beans are in it. Well, first of all, it's a clam festival okay. up here. I'm sorry. The, <laughs> you, you, you get my point. Is you, you can only you can only quantify your your campaign 
whether it's a sales or a marketing or, or a, a political campaign, you can only quantify that so much. At some point, it's not about number of contacts. It's about number of meaningful contacts. Correct. So let's relate that to something else near and dear to your heart. Baseball. Baseball. Quality at bats. Yeah. So what have you learned as a collegiate baseball player that has served you well professionally and now as you enter this new what do we want to call it this new chapter chapter Chapter. look at that yeah look at that of your life uh so i want i'd love to have you unpack that a little bit and then also um tell the story about what you uh when you went through customs coming back from thunder bay ontario (laughs) <laughs> well, what you declared. Uh, yes. Um, I think one of the things that uh, is, is universal about baseball is if you if you can't handle failure, you're not going to be very good at it. Um, if you take, you know, there's an expression, you know, don't don't take that bat at bat out into the field with you. And how often, if, if you watch a decent amount of baseball, how often do you see a guy um, fail at the plate in, in a, a crucial situation and then the next half of the inning make a mistake in the field. Yep. So like, having a short memory is, uh, is helpful uh, in some respects. I think you plan for success and, and you learn how to deal with failure. So that, that's something that I think is, is helpful. And, and I think probably like the more talent and preparation you, you have or, or employ, the less failure you have to deal with. I think that's that's important. That's that's something I used to coach new or or young high school teachers about is you need to be prepared and and that means have a plan, but a plan that can't change isn't a very good plan. Yeah. So make sure you can adapt and if that means you want to be out collecting signatures but it's 22 degrees and rainy, you either need to keep collecting signatures and ignore the elements, or you need to find a new way to, uh, to get some productivity out of your time. I think that's the best time to to door knock. As far as Thunder Bay, Ontario goes. Yeah. I made a trip out there to, uh, to, to try to live my dream of, of getting paid to play a game. And, uh, that didn't work out at all. Um, because I, I wasn't very good. And sometimes you just have to acknowledge that there's going to be some things in your life that you can't do. Fortunately, where, where were you trying out? Thunder Bay, Ontario. For what? What? What league was up there? Oh what my team? gosh, I can barely even remember. I think it was an independent team. Okay. Um, so not not affiliated. It's basically the lowest of the low. Like you you really couldn't get any lower than that. And that wasn't a fit. <laughs> that well, it was a I'm fit. Kidding. It was a fit okay. in terms of personality, but you know, when your skill set does not does yeah. not meet the lowest oh, of yeah. the low. Fortunately, I had parents who did not tell me that I could do anything that I wanted to do in in life. He told me that like there's a lot I can do, mm-hmm. and um, it would require effort and talent and and all those other things. But some things I'm just not going to be able to do. So anyway, yes, coming back into the United so, States. Hang I, on, when they released you, did they give you a participation trophy? I, I have never uh, received a participation trophy. I'm almost 50 years old, so I think I missed that, That's that good. era. I, I wear the fact that I never got one as a badge of honor. 
Well, you know, I don't get to, I certainly don't blame kids for participation trophies. No, I blame I, the generation that invented it. I blame parents. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just the product of my time in education. I find that the longer I taught uh, high school, the uh, the more patient I became with kids, but I, I sort of lost all my patience for Ooh, adults. Yeah. Which you know they're they're your clients too. So uh, you know there's there's a business lesson to be learned here. If your clients oh, yeah. if your clients are really bothering you, you may want to rethink your you may want to rethink your business. So back to Thunder Bay. Back to Thunder Bay. Okay. Oh, so anyway, I, I in yeah. re, in returning to the United States, this was back in the days when you just before, needed, before you, there was a wall on the Canadian border. Yeah, you just needed a driver's license. So um, I, you know, pull up to customs in my my nineteen eighty Cadillac Fleetwood. And Sweet, it, what color? It, it, um, it was uh, baby blue with a navy blue leather interior. Oh, that it sounds was, it was hideous. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, At least it wasn't lime green. That's only because I didn't have the money to paint it lime green. <laughs> so the uh, the customs official asked me if I had anything to declare, and my declaration was, I am no longer a baseball player. <laughs> and so then I had to like, go find honest work, and oh. uh, that was... Uh, that was okay. It was liberating and not as big a surprise as it may have sounded. I think it's okay to try things and to um, to not necessarily be real successful with them. That's a great story, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably the, the best story I'm able to tell on a relatively family-friendly podcast. Absolutely. I, I do have some excellent ones that you know, we can tell some other time to you know select members of your, your membership group. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We'll do that. Um, they uh, we'll call them up and, and offer them a bedtime story. That, yeah. That's that's a nice personalized approach to to membership. They've been vetted. Yes. Yes. So they won't be too triggered. <laughs> yes. Uh, which reminds me, if you're interested in joining my membership community, my exclusive membership community, uh, now would be the time to do it before uh, the price goes up to ninety nine dollars a month. Right now, it's forty nine dollars a month. You can go to yesterdaysunderdog.com and see for yourself all the perks of membership. Now, John, last time you had a guest on your podcast, um, you had uh, members asking uh, bizarre questions. And you, want, you want some of that? I, I feel like yeah. I've been I've been cheated a little bit. I okay. wanted some some odd questions, and you certainly have some odd people that are asking odd questions. I do. So um, before we do that, you'll notice I slipped in a little commercial for my business or at least one of the arms of it what i'm going to do right now is uh we forgot to do one sponsorship mention uh each episode of the coach brew podcast we have a different sponsor and um i'm actually going to have you live read on air Actually, it's not live; it's recorded. But I'm going to have you share this sponsorship mention okay. of the episode with my audience. Bring it on! And that sponsor is you, so you get to tell people about your campaign and if we have listeners in your area where they can get more information about you. Thank you, John. This segment is brought to you by electpaulweaver.com. Paul Weaver for Strasburg Town Council. See how professional that sounds? Anyway, yes, if we do have any listeners in the town of Strasburg, Virginia, in beautiful Shenandoah County. Scenic and picturesque. Scenic and picturesque. Go to paulweaver.com. 
or electpoll, sorry, electpollweaver.com, or you can email me at electpollweaver at gmail.com. And uh, you can get some more information about my campaign, or you could just uh, send me an email saying, hey, I'm definitely voting for you. Please don't ever podcast again. And that would be okay, too. Or please don't ever go on Brubaker's podcast again. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. Um, So I have a number of questions. I have 30 different questions. Really, 29. Okay. I'm going to let you pick a number between... Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to pick I'm gonna k- pick old baseball numbers. Okay. So uh, let's start with 14. And who was number 14? Raleigh Fingers? No, I was. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know who else was number 14. So this will be, uh, this will be good. Would you rather be the smartest or best-looking person in any room you walk into? Wow. Um you know, I always wanted to be really good looking. <laughs> so let me, this isn't a fair question because I didn't preface this at the very beginning of the show. And I actually think this is irresponsible of me. So I apologize. And I know we're joking around with silly questions. This is very serious. Um, Paul Weaver is the most intelligent person I know and I've ever met. So he's really actually going to automatically be the smartest person in any room he walks into. So should we just say, like, let's choose another number? Or do you just want to talk about how good-looking you are? Well, I'm not particularly good-looking, although my wife thinks so. So, you know, thank God for her. Uh, yeah, there. I really, really wanted to be painfully handsome. And that didn't work out so much. So... Um, yeah, I, to answer your question, because any good question deserves an answer, I would rather be the best-looking person in a room any day. The curse of knowledge has got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine that uh, that being really good-looking is is probably a, a good thing, and you know. So, so baseball numbers wasn't fourteen. Wasn't that Pete Rose? Yeah, Pete Rose was number fourteen. Yeah, I, took, I wasn't positive about that. I yeah. took a gamble, and I uh, he was. Uh, and I guessed Ed Ott. See, see what I just uh, Ed did there? Ott of the Pittsburgh Pirates wore number fourteen. Took a gamble. Took a gamble. Pete Rose. You see what I just did there? Um, that was subtle. John goes with the puns for his humor. Yeah. Um, uh, I am not a. Did partic- you say Mel Ott? No, Ed Ott. Okay, is that Mel's brother? Uh, no. Okay. No. Uh, wasn't Mel Ott a pirate? No, but Ed Ott was. Okay, Mel Ott was a White Sox. I don't know. So you don't know, but you so see you don't know that he wasn't a pirate. Well, I can tell you he wasn't. Arr. I can tell you he wasn't a pirate. All right. Um, they couldn't afford him. <laughs> exactly. So uh, pick another number. Uh, 23. 23. If you could be any character from a TV show, who would you be? Oh, my goodness. This is... And don't say Jennifer Aniston from Friends. Oh, that would be my first choice. Okay, but since the first choice is taken, if I could be any character from a TV show, who would I be? This I would so easy. I would be Wayne from Letterkenny. Not Wayne from Wayne's World? No. Well, that was a movie. No. Letterkenny is, is probably my favorite television show ever. Which one is Wayne? Wayne he's is a big guy that gets in all the fights. Yeah, he's the okay. big guy who gets into all the fights. He's a man of few words, so that fits. That would not fit for me. I'm a man of many words, but Wayne You have the best words. Wayne, you know all the words. I know all the best words. Wayne is a pretty handsome guy and good with his fists. And yep. uh well, you know, who doesn't like a guy like that? He's uh 
chiseled of granite, much like yourself. Yes, he's he's very fit, unlike me, and that's okay too. And he has a full head of hair, which I I don't have either. So that's pretty much why I want to live Wayne's life. Cool, you know. Um, and so, baseball number twenty three, famous. Who's a famous twenty three? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I was just thinking I can, when I when I picked twenty three, I was thinking uh, seventh grade football number. Since I have such a short attention span, I change sports already. Ryan Sandberg. Ryan Sandberg. Okay. Not Ryan. 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 Yeah. I know you got that I right. I'm, that. This, that was for the audience. Okay. Sorry. Because I didn't want someone saying who's Ryan Sandberg. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, Louis Tiant. Louis Tion with the outstanding mustache game. Oh, he yeah. had the uh, the, the Fu Manchu the horseshoe yeah. mustache. That was that was righteous, and I can grow that. But I'm pretty sure I would have to live by myself if I had one of those full time. Robin Ventura. Robin Ventura. Of course, what I remember most about Robin Ventura is, is him getting beat up by by Nolan Ryan. Yes. Oh, yeah. Who was only 20 years older than he was. Uh, Don Mattingly and Kirk Gibson. Okay, like Kirk Gibson, Don Mattingly, I've got nothing against Don Mattingly, but just very much not a Yankees fan. Sorry, Yankees fans, but don't like them at all. My arch nemesis would be very upset with you. And that's, that's okay. Fine. I can live yeah. with that. I can carry that guilt around. I, I make a me. living making my arch nemesis upset, so it's all good. Uh, pick another number. Uh, six. Six. Number six. Tony Pena. Oh, man. Um, who would win? A Navy SEAL in a toddler's body or a toddler in a Navy SEAL's body? Uh, you know, I would say that the the, uh, the mental side of things is, is really how you win fights. And so, and, and we all know that toddlers can be incredibly destructive. So I would say a, uh, a Navy SEAL in a toddler's body. 100%. Uh, and I, I didn't realize it until we just did this. There are a lot of famous number sixes in baseball. Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, Barroyd Bonds, Stan Musial, Derek Jeter, Ken Griffey Jr., Cy Young, Mike Trout, Clayton Kershaw. Babe Ruth wore number six? That's what it's that's what Google says. Yeah. Well, there's the thing about information. Willie Mays. John. Okay, Willie Mays. Yeah. I thought Willie Mays wore twenty four though. I have to say, hey, kid, War 24. John, you're, you're messing this up, man. You went to Google. What, what's the problem here? You went to Google. That's uh, the problem. This is Babe Ruth War number three. Three, yeah. Okay, hang on. Yeah, come on, John. You're, um, you're messing this up. There's a glitch in the Matrix. Uh, sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, he, he, he messed up the Matrix. Stan Musial? Yeah, Stan from... Al Kaline. Stan Musial from Denora, Pennsylvania, a okay. fellow southwestern Pennsylvanian. It's the only thing Stan Musial and I have in common. This is true. Uh, give me another number. Uh, how about uh, number 10? Number 10. Do you rather marry someone who talks too much or not at all? Like a mute. Wow. Okay. Let me think. This is a tough one. I'm not exactly sure how, uh, how Mrs. Weaver... It's going to respond when she hears this. So while you're thinking about that, a couple famous number 10s. Okay. Chipper Jones. Yeah, Chipper Jones. And uh, one of my favorite players, Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson, legit. Underrated. 
Well, I think part of that was just playing for uh, for quite a few years up in Montreal. Yep. But Montreal had some really good teams back then. Andre Dawson, Gary Carter, um, mm-hmm. uh, Warren Cromarty, stolen base guy. Not to be confused with Antonio Cromarty. Correct. Whoever that is. Football player. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So um, I would say that uh, I'm comfortable with silence. And so, therefore, uh, I would go with – I would rather be married to someone who, who didn't speak much at all rather than someone who spoke too much because okay. I feel like I can fill a lot of dead air with, with my babble. Oh, yeah. I don't want to have to compete. Uh, exhibit A right here. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've often been called dead air. I could do this all day. Yeah. Like, th- this, is, this is not, this is not yeah. effort for me. So – Let's take another one here. We'll do a couple more. Pick right. a number. Well, I want you to pick one that you think is the most challenging question. All right, here's the most challenging question. Would you rather have hot dogs for fingers or hamburgers for butt cheeks? Hot dogs for fingers. Or hamburgers, or hamburgers, for, hamburgers butt cheeks. for butt cheeks. Well, I, I have sort of a sedentary profession, so I'm on my butt a lot. I would say hot dogs for fingers because, um, you know, if I got hungry... I just sort of, you know, gnaw away on them. And I think that would be that would be about right. I'm not sure who comes up with these questions, but if this is indicative of the the feedback from your, your membership group, this is No, this is just this listeners is, and my social media following okay. and, and the internet. The okay. interwebs. Not not a ringing endorsement for the no. interwebs. Um so uh, let's take it in a different direction. The fiercest animal you think you could beat in a fight. Okay, well, I would fight dirty for starters, so I think that ups my game well. The fiercest animal I could take in a fight, you know, I think I don't think I could I could take down a, a grizzly bear, but I think you think you could or you don't think I you don't could? think I could, but you never know. Um, I don't think you could take it down or outrun it. Well, no, I can't outrun anything. <laughs> I could outrun a sloth, maybe. Um, I would say that, uh, that a black bear, and since we're in Maine, mm-hmm. I'm going to say the Maine black bear. I know somebody's going to call me crazy, but I, I, I feel like if, if I really had, to, really had to go you know, mano a mano. I mean, you could let it gnaw on one arm while you choke it to death with your other arm. Yeah, you, you wouldn't know it to give look it little, at me. but give it a little I, bait. I actually have decent MMA skills. Um, I just lack the flexibility and the fitness and the agility, endurance and, and, yeah. and agility. But in my mind, I feel like I could, I could, but I, I wouldn't want to choke a bear out because I like bears. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll take it in a dark direction. Let's say you lost the fight to the main black bear. Mm-hmm. Who's the one celebrity you would want at your funeral? This is a two part question. And the one song you want played at your funeral? Hmm. This is this. Is, who's the one celebrity I would want at my funeral? I would have to say. Um, I would have to say Little John. Little John. Little John. Because okay. I, I would want a hype man at my funeral, especially if I died because I was I was going hand to hand combat with a bear. Uh, what song would I want? Well, that's a that's a tough one. Um, 
you know, it's certainly it's not a victory song. Um, so it would, I think it would need to be something, something sad, but I'm not sure what, that's a good question. What song would I want played at my funeral? Well, for starters, I don't really want a funeral to begin with. So there's that, but, um, I'm not sure. I think I just have to leave it up to, you know, little John. Yeah. You know, and he might he might be into something really sort of uncharacteristic for him. Like he might be a big fan of like Fleetwood Mac or something like that. You never know. I'd like to see what's what's on his phone music wise. I see you furiously typing away. Exactly. What? Little John, what? So yeah, I I think <laughs> I, I think that's exactly how that would go down. I think you're right. Okay. Um Let's see. <sighs> Boy. Mm, what disease would you be willing to have if you knew your worst enemy had to have it too? Oh, wow. So I've, I've worked hard at trying to be a better person and a little less vindictive, but you know, just because you're working hard doesn't mean you're successful. Uh, <laughs> baseball career. Uh, <laughs> did we mention that? Um, I would say that uh, the worst disease I would want to have, you know, I would say like the coronavirus. I would say ulcer- pairs well with Lyme disease. I would say ulcerative colitis. Ooh. You know, because I think like I can endure that. Well, who's your worst enema? Uh, worst enemy? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I would my, even. I don't. Not sure. I would say. I know who it is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna write it down, and you just nod and tell me if I'm right. Okay. Because I try to go through life without. That's without why this isn't enemy. a video <laughs> podcast. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah that would. Uh, yeah, that's a person who who works allegedly in the same profession that I do as an educator. We use that term loosely. Yes, yeah. that okay. that would be that would be a good one. Yeah, and um, I would definitely wish ulcerative colitis on him. Okay, like I said, I feel like I can I can ride that out. Uh, literally, yes. Okay, here here's a uh, interesting one. If your belly button was a real button, what would you want it to do? Some people are confused by that question. No, so I, I, I'm, to, I'm totally okay. on board with that. Right. If my belly button was a real button, what would I want it to do? I think I would want it to make me giggle. You know, like like little kid giggle, like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if if <laughs> if I felt like you know if <laughs> if I was just being a little too serious, okay, which which is sort of my default setting, um, that people would feel free to just walk up. And, and, and hit that button, get a giggle to, to sort of reset mm-hmm. the levity of any given situation. And that would be, that would be, uh, that'd be my move right there. Okay, we're going to wrap it up with this last question. No one's ever given me that answer before. I like that. If you could read the text message history between two people, who do you pick? Now, this is not limited to the time or era in which... There was text messaging. Okay. So, like, if you wanted to say, like, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant, you could. Yeah. I, Trump I, and Putin, you you could. Like, yeah. it could be anybody. 
I'm I'm trying to think. Oh, that's a that's a good one. If I could read the text history of any two people, um, that's a that's a really excellent question. And one of your listeners oh, had yeah. that question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well done. I have the best, best sir listeners. or madam. Um, I would like to see a. Uh, a text exchange between George Washington and, you know, choose whichever British general you want. Maybe like, like Lord Cornwallis, you know, who surrendered to Washington at at uh, at Yorktown. Because I, I could see you know, George taking the high road a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, hey, you know, you need to surrender and Cornwallis sort of take it. Well, no, you know, his majesty's government doesn't do whatever. And then I just see a series of progressively darker and funnier memes being sent his way. And um, Do you think Washington has a strong meme game? I think he understood the value of a well-balanced staff. And so while, you know, he may not be digging those up, I just picture somebody else you know who's in who's in his doing head, his dirty work in his yeah. headquarters. Just like hold on, hold on, we got one. His like, director of social media. Yeah, like we we have a gif of you know monkeys throwing throwing poop at each other or something like that. Yeah. And I can Photoshop one of those white powdered wigs onto the other one. And yeah, I, I that's I'd say you know Washington's strength as a leader was was building an effective staff. Okay. Um, and I like history. You, and next month. Mrs. Weaver and I are going to Williamsburg, Virginia, and we'll stop by Yorktown. Nice. To, you know, work on our meme game. Uh, my answer to that question, in case you're wondering. Nobody cares. Th- thanks for asking. Nobody cares. Is uh, Charlie Sheen and anybody? Yeah, you know like the I thing. I just imagine that's just off the chain. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that I, I want to lose any more respect for, for people as a result of, of reading their, their text. Yeah. I think that's a difficult question for me to answer overall because I just I'm not really into minding other people's business. So if if, if so John, if, if you could gave me a phone and said, Hey, this is you know celebrity X's phone, I'd be like, Yeah, so so I, would, I would just start texting random people in their contacts. Yeah. I would get more fun out of texting random people in their contacts. Than reading their stuff, you would have like just stirring up trouble. You would have fun pranking yep. somebody, and mm-hmm. I would have fun minding my own business. Wow, <laughs> that's the that's the difference. That's exciting. <laughs> that's the difference be- between us. So uh, this has been fun. Uh, I want to remind everyone to uh, take a look at Paul Weaver's campaign page. It's been fun comparing a political campaign with a uh, business campaign or a marketing campaign. The parallels are uh, staggering. And if you think my business is different after this, I can't help you. Your business is not different. Yeah. You're not special. Yes. Cut it out. And you don't get a participation trophy. So uh, what's the website again, Paul? Electpaulweaver.com. Check it out. Head on over there. And while you're uh, on the interwebs, you can go to coachbrew.com, sign up for my newsletter, and uh, you'll get a special bonus, 12 ways to double your sales and double your results. It's a special report that will be delivered directly to your inbox. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you have any feedback for us, you can go to uh, on my podcast page, anchor.fm slash coachbrewpodcast. You can leave me a voicemail. Like some of these questions, 
were sent to me via social media. Some were voicemails. And uh, if you have a special guest you want to hear from, you have thoughts, feedback, questions, uh, feel free to fire away on the podcast voicemail page. And uh, if you want to share it, spread the word. We sure do appreciate that too. Mr. Weaver, thanks for joining us. Thanks, John, for having me on here. Do, do you want to uh, do you want to sign off on my behalf now? Yeah, no script to read or anything. I just get to make up what I want. That's what we do here. It's part of our charm. Thanks for tuning in to the Coach Brew Podcast. How was that? That was excellent. That was super. This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro. Hey, Brew. I know you said you don't want an outro at the end of the show, but how else are you going to tell people to subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast? Uh, I could just go ahead and tell them myself, but I'm not. What? Why not? I'm not going to tell people what to do. If they want to subscribe, share, rate, and review, that's, that's their call. But those metrics are important. Actually, Coach Brew has a valid point. Those metrics don't mean a damn thing. The internet is littered with fake reviews, purchased followers and subscribers. What matters is quality, not quantity. Thank you, Keely. Look at me. I love his show. So without being asked, I subscribed, reviewed it and recommended it to my colleagues. Besides, that isn't even what he wants listeners to do anyway. He wants them to go to coachbrew.com and join his email list so they can get a complimentary copy of his prestigious $49 a month yesterday's underdog newsletter. And in doing so, they'll be subscribed to The Daily Brew, which is his free e-news. God, I love that thing. Whatever. I give up. Good. I give your decision five stars.